With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Another week, another message sent to the NFL by the Kansas City Chiefs. It's a good week to be a Chiefs fan. Let's talk some Chiefs, guys. Welcome to the Chief in the North podcast. I'm your host, Minnesota Chiefs fan. This is the land of 10,000 takes. I am excited to talk to you guys about the Chiefs today. What a game last night. Um, the Chiefs once again won. <laughs> 2-0 to start the season. All of us were very concerned when the season started with an incredibly tough schedule to begin the year. So far, the Chiefs are acing the tests that are sent their way. They send a tough tough Eagles team packing out of Arrowhead in a game that was (laughs) both closer than the final score in a weird way, but yet also not nearly as close as the final score indicated. The the Eagles essentially needed a miracle to even come within spitting distance of a win. They got that miracle in one of the more remarkable onside kick plays I've ever seen. I can't recall a time that I've seen a player swat an onside kick down the field to give his team awesome field position in addition to recovering the onside kick. But then, of course, it happened. And I got to tell you, I have never had a game go from this one is over to holy crap, what is happening right now more quickly than that. Um, The the Chiefs really, I mean, they, they dealt with a borderline hero ball game from Carson Wentz, who really impressed the daylights out of me. And an Eagles team that impressed me overall, particularly its front seven, but most particularly Carson Wentz, who, after watching him play and seeing the way he managed that game, the way he made some just critical throws, the way he moved around the pocket, that guy is going to be a good quarterback for a long, long time. But it was all for naught in the end, and the Chiefs walked away with the W. And once again, for the second week in a row, it's a good week to be a Chiefs fan. And so there's a lot to talk about this week, a whole lot of things to, to go over Um, I reviewed the game. Unfortunately, there's no All-22 available yet, so I haven't been able to do some of the things that I normally like to do. However, there are a few things I want to talk about today. I'm going to kind of do things a little bit different. I'm going to kind of go with the good to start off with. Then I'm going to talk about some of the things that maybe might be a little concerning down the stretch. And then, of course, you know, it's like a compliment sandwich. Then we're going to, you know, go back into some of the good things again. So, there's a lot to talk about. I want to talk about uh, the team in general. I want to talk about Alex Smith. I want to talk about Chris Jones and the pass rush, Kareem Hunt, the offensive line. And there is one reason it's not quite as good a week to be a Chiefs fan. Um, Mitch Morse, who many of you know isn't just Mitch Morse to me. He is Mitch Morse! Yes, now that I've broken your headphones, or however it is you're listening to this, but Mitch Morse is arguably my favorite player on the Chiefs. I Kind of have a creepy obsession with his game at this point. He went down with an with a foot injury. Um, we'll talk about that a little bit. We'll talk a little bit about Travis Kelsey and why I'm just starting to run out of patience a little bit. 
and then we're gonna go. We're gonna preview the Chargers game just a little bit, and then I want to talk overall about what the ceiling is for this team. So, like I said, there's a lot to talk about, so we're gonna dive right into it. First things first. This really was another message sent to the NFL by the Chiefs. Now, it's not quite the same as beating the Patriots by two touchdowns on national television in their house. I get that. However, this was a statement game in a different way. Every year, it seems like the Chiefs have at least one game where Andy Reid manages to just coach the daylights out of the opposition. And that's what ended up happening with the Patriots game, is down the stretch, Andy Reid just mollywopped Bill Belichick. And that resulted, and especially his defensive coordinator, and that resulted in a game where the Chiefs really pulled away in the fourth quarter. And so, yes, that was a message to the NFL. However, that was a big coaching win, not just a big player win. And you can't always rely on Andy Reid to just completely win the coaching matchup every week. And so winning one game like that is great. The Chiefs have had letdowns after signature wins like that in the past. Um, I've, I've seen it before, like against the Seahawks a couple of years ago. I mean, against the Patriots a few years ago. I mean, they just they didn't quite follow up the way you would have liked to see them do it. And so I was just happy to see them send the message that is as follows, if I could sum it up. That message being, we can beat good teams when they play well. Because the Eagles played well. Yep, they beat the Patriots when the Patriots played well. But that's two games in a row now that they've beaten a good team that played well. It's not like they just had luck on their side. In fact, you know, the Eagles had some lucky plays. The Chiefs had some lucky plays. I mean, you know, the Eagles, that, I mean, they, 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 did ha they had some plays where the ball bounced their way. They just, they, they had some good things happen for them. You know, that onside kick, that was a great special teams play, but it was also a rare special teams play. You hardly see anything like that. Um, the, the Chiefs themselves, they had some luck, but they also created their own luck uh, with Chris Jones' interception, with a few other things that happened. They also weren't really lucky in recovering fumbles that they forced, other than one crucial one. And so the Chiefs, they, they were able to beat a tough Eagles team with an incredibly tough front seven on a day where it's not like the Eagles put laid an egg or put up a stinker. Carson Wentz played astonishingly well, but they were still able to get the job done. This is a different type of win than the win against the Patriots. It wasn't just a coach-led win. It was a, a player-led win, in my opinion. I don't think Andy Reid particularly outcoached Doug Peterson outside of a few plays here and there. But the Chiefs were able to still run away with the game by being the more talented team. By owning the fourth quarter, and that's the second game in a row that they've owned the fourth quarter. Although, they, they, I don't know if I would call what they did the last three minutes owning it. Again, it went from, hey, they got a win, to, whoa, what is happening right now? And I got that sinking feeling in my stomach that I was about to see something historic. Thankfully, I was wrong. But there is, there, there's just a message sent here. The second week in a row, they played a good quarterback and come out on top. And no, Carson Wentz isn't in the same category as Tom Brady. But I'll tell you, he absolutely destroyed the Redskins' defense last week. And really, I mean, when you you look at his stats, now to be fair, he threw the ball 46 times. But he threw for 333 yards against the Chiefs when you don't include sacks and a couple of touchdowns. And that's, that's despite being sacked six times. I mean, all you had to do was watch the film to really say, man, Carson Wentz can play. And he, he played well. He created yards. He manufactured multiple first downs with his legs. That last that last drive that the Eagles had, he, that run for 24 yards, the only thing that kept him in the game. I mean, I was screaming 
at the TV. I was so I was so bothered that he was getting so far because I felt like the secondary wasn't maybe paying attention the way they should have been. But I they they took a quarterback who played a very good game, and they beat him. And that's so crucial to be able to do that once the playoffs comes. Being able to take a good game by a good quarterback and still hold them when it counts, and they did. Um, although someone would argue they didn't hold them in the fourth quarter, but I'm talking in the game to build up that lead. They really took it to them when they had to, to build up a lead that basically made a comeback borderline impossible. Um, the Eagles came close to pulling off the impossible, but really when, once the Chiefs went up by two scores with that little amount of time left, with the Eagles having only a couple timeouts, it really was over barring a miracle and the Eagles pulled up just short. So I saw a statement game there from the Chiefs themselves. I also saw a statement game by Alex Smith. And honestly, for me, this was more of a statement game from Alex Smith than the game against the Patriots. And I, I might get some pushback on that because against the against the Patriots, you know, Alex was ridiculous statistically. And I get that. And by and large, watching him play, he didn't play as well against the Eagles as he played against the Patriots. That's pretty obvious just by the eye test. You know, I'll go back and watch the film. We'll see what it looked like. You know, he took a couple sacks that I'm not sure about. I'll have to watch the All-22 to see if guys were open down the field. I know Chiefs fans were upset with him in the first half especially. And, you know, that's the way it usually goes during a game. You know, it's, oh, throw the ball. Oh, do this. Oh, do that. Why well, I won't know until I watch the All-22. But here's what I do know. Alex, on a night where, or on a day when the offensive line wasn't dominating, when it wasn't dominating, because the offensive line dominated against New England. Against the Eagles, it wasn't the same. Uh, the run game, by and large, a lot of the day wasn't working that well. Um, and Andy Reid essentially abandoned it at times. Um, and as far as pressure goes, the offensive line went from hardly giving up any pressure against the Patriots to giving up a ton of pressure against the Eagles. And it's not like this was just Alex Smith running into pressure. This was just pressure. This wasn't necessarily manufactured by blitzes either. I was wondering going into the game if, if, if Schwartz would dial up a bunch of blitzes against the Chiefs. He didn't that I saw. I mean, he had some, but a lot of the pressure was just manufactured by a really, really good front four for the Philadelphia Eagles. And that's what I was afraid of. And that's when you get in trouble as a quarterback when your offensive line gives up pressure to three or four rushers. That creates an incredibly difficult situation. And it wasn't just that Alex Smith was sacked four times. He was, I mean, he was hit. He was hassled. He was pressured. He was forced out of the pocket. Um, there were just a lot of things that weren't working. And as usual, when that happens, it affected Andy Reid's play calling. Now, let's be clear. Alex Smith did miss that one deep shot to Tyreek Hill. And that was tough. And you could tell he really wanted that back. Um, you could tell he was upset about it. Because um, that, you know, that could have changed the nature of the game early. And I get that. So he didn't play a perfect game by any stretch of the imagination. However, he did hit multiple other deep shots, and he hit them at times when it really, really counted. And so when I call this a statement game by Alex Smith, I'm talking about that fourth quarter drive where, you know, on, on third and four, the offensive line gives up pressure immediately. Way too quick for Alex. I mean, he was as he hit the top of his drop, he had a free rusher in his face. He managed to somehow shake off the guy and then move to his left just fast enough to avoid another rusher and sprint to a first down. He manufactured a first down on a play where the offensive line 
failed completely, where the play call failed, everything else failed. He manufactured yards. It was arguably the most important play of the game because that drive ended in a touchdown that put the Chiefs up. That that was just so important. Had he not done that, you don't get the touchdown. It's just a whole different game with regards to how much time is on the clock, with regards to the scoreboard. And Alex manufactured something there. He made something happen where the offense failed. Additionally, and again, you can never distill a quarterback's performance to just one or two throws. Just like I can't distill it too well, he missed Tyreek Hill deep early. Oh, man, and that was a close one too. That was so close. But he also, if, you, you, if, you, if you're going to look at it through one or two throws there, you know, he missed him early, he missed Tyreek Hill. However, late in the fourth quarter, hitting Chris Conley on that last touchdown drive was essentially the nail in the coffin for the Eagles. That, that is the play, and yes, the Chiefs went on to score a touchdown to put themselves up 14, but that was the first down that helped them run another two or three minutes off the clock to make it go from, you know, they, they still got a lot of time, this still could be rough, to they need a miracle to win this game. Um, that, that deep shot to Conley, 25-plus yards in the air, I mean, there was, there was borderline perfect coverage on the play, about as good as you can get, and Alex had a rusher screaming in towards him that had beaten an interior lineman, and he just dropped a diamond there to Conley. Unbelievable throw, arguably his best of the season. Um, I'm thinking back, you know, you got bigger throws that were, you know, longer throws. That throw to Kareem Hunt went for more yards, but despite how perfectly Alex dropped that in, Kareem Hunt was wide open. Well, not wide open, but he was open against the Pats. Here, Conley wasn't even open. Alex threw him open. He put it in a spot that only Conley could get it and where he could run right underneath it. It was just a fantastic, fantastic play overall. And so what I mean by a statement game from Alex Smith, I mean it was a game where not everything was going right for the offense like it was against the Patriots. And he still managed to produce yards when it counted. He still managed to manufacture some stuff on his own. He still managed to help the offense move smoothly and efficiently. Um, they, they, they had a few issues in the red zone again. We'll see what happens with that. But what I was looking for from Alex Smith was a game where not everything was going right for the rest of the offense because we already knew Alex could perform when that happened. And that's what happened against the Patriots. Everything was going right. Well, this was a game where not everything was going right at all, but he still played well. And that means a lot. Did he play as well technically as he did against the Patriots? No, but considering the situation, he played just as well, if that makes sense, because not everything else was going right. He didn't have everything, everybody else winning around him. And so the, 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 the difficulty of getting yards was so much higher, but they still managed to get it done. And so that was, that was a big statement game to me from Alex Smith, that even against a front seven, that's arguably the best they'll see all year. And he was getting knocked around. It was just tough. He was still able to get it done by and large. It was a statement game from Alex that maybe we're not going to see bad Alex this year. Maybe maybe the lowest bar for Alex is still good Alex. And so that was a big game from him. And so, you know, to continue with the whole idea of statement games, you got to talk about Chris Jones. I've got an article coming up, and it'll probably already be out by the time this podcast drops. You know, Chris Jones, uh, everyone knows that I love him as a player. And... He, uh, he, he just, he's so much fun to watch. He's so much fun to see interviewed, all that stuff. Um, just a guy full of life, full of joy. And as a player, he's just got some remarkable strengths, including remarkable strength. 
Um, he's, he's such a great athlete. He's got those long arms. He's, he's so good at just tossing offensive linemen out of the way on his way to the quarterback. Despite how good a rookie season he had, and a lot of analysts know who he is, uh, most people that watch the film, whether you want to talk about Baldinger or whether you want to talk about Bowen or whether you want to talk about Pro Football Focus or, 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 or Ledyard or Brandon Thorne, or whoever you want to talk about, guys that actually kind of watch the film, a lot of them know who Chris Jones is, and they really like him as a player. However, on a national level, he kind of flew under the radar last year because he only had two sacks all year. And let's face it, the way people get noticed on the defensive line is by racking up sack numbers. doesn't matter how much they're affecting the game otherwise. All that matters is that one number. And so for that reason, this was kind of a, a welcome-to-the-scene game for Chris Jones. He had three sacks, and yes, uh, my understanding is when he used the offensive lineman, the right guard, and rammed him into Carson Wentz, which, I, that, as I've always said when Alan Bailey does it, that is the manliest way to collect a sack to use an offensive lineman to do it and just slam him into the quarterback. So Wentz fumbled. That goes down as a sack that because of the fumble by Wentz, it's a tackle there and a fumble. Then Wentz recovered it, and Benny Logan made a great heads-up play to bring him down. Three sacks. He had a pick. And, yes, the pick was on a deflected pass, which, you know, it, it bounced off Justin Houston's head, but it only did that because Houston got good pressure and helped blow up a screenplay. But what I love about that play, and I wrote about this, is that the reason Jones was able to pick off that ball is because he recognized the screen rather than just getting sucked up field on his rush. He recognized the screen and backed off, stayed alert, stayed aware, saw the ball bounce in the air, and was able to gather it in. That's a heads-up play that I don't think he makes his rookie year. He showed more recognition against the run. He just showed the ability to locate the ball a little bit quicker, both as a pass rusher and especially as a run defender. He looks like he's making progress. Now, he only played something like 45, 44% of the snaps. I think he played like 31 by my charting, give or take. Um, so he was rotating out a lot. I don't know if Bob Sutton is still kind of concerned about keeping guys fresh. I hope they keep him in a little more because, in my opinion, he was winning more than the other guys. Although, you saw good plays out of every single defensive lineman. So maybe Sutton's on to something, keeping everyone real fresh. You saw a real healthy rotation of Jones, Benny Logan, um, Raheem Nunez-Rochez, and Alan Bailey, and Roy Miller. Now, Roy Miller saw the least time, as far as I could tell, but he was rotated in there a healthy amount of the time. And so you could tell Sutton's concern was to keep everyone fresh. But this was a statement game from Chris Jones. Again, three sacks, that's what people are going to notice. But he also disrupted multiple plays. The way he collected those sacks, that very last one he had of Carson Wentz, he made a great swim move to go around the left guard. And just screaming at Wentz, Wentz made a brilliant play to sidestep him. And i got to tell you, 99% of defensive tackles are out of the play at that point. Because you go from beating the lineman with full sprint at the quarterback, he sidesteps you. Try stopping on a dime and turning around and pursuing someone after going full sprint. That is not easy, and Jones pulled it off. Carson Wentz stepped up right after sidestepping, and you could tell he thought he had an extra second to throw because he assumed there's no way a 310, 315-pound guy can stop on a dime, turn around, and grab, oh, wait, what's happening? And then <laughs> Jones brought him down. So it was a statement game from Chris Jones as well. And just the entire pass rush, really, you saw a statement from them. It's kind of funny because, you know, the Chiefs ended up with six sacks on the day, it, despite the fact that on some plays it was like, man, Carson Wentz has forever to throw. But really, you know, there were some plays where the pass rush was stymied, for sure. 
But on a lot of plays, Carson Wentz had to create and run around, and he did a great job doing it. But the Chiefs' pass rush as a whole, I mean, when you look at the way they closed out the Patriots game, and then you look at the way that they closed out the Eagles game, I'm not a big fan of Bob Sutton's newest uh, defensive strategy of constantly rushing three early in games. Now, we'll see how long he decides to keep doing it that way. That's It's bothering me a bit. But you can see that when they release the Hounds, the Chiefs' pass rush is absolutely back. Justin Houston collected another sack. And the Eagles have a tough, tough offensive line. And so they, they, that, you've got to give some credit where it's due. But the Chiefs were able to get pressure when it really counted. And so there was a statement game there that the Chiefs' pass rush, unlike a lot of the time last year, is once again to be feared. And that's a big, big deal when the defense overall – has some strengths and weaknesses, you can at least say, man, when we have to, we get after the passer. Chris Jones and Justin Houston as a combination is just scary. All right, we're going to take a quick break, then we're going to talk about one more good thing, one more good statement. That was by Kareem Hunt and what he did. And then we're going to move on to a few of the things that might be concerning moving forward. And we'll 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 we'll, we'll take a little bit different look at the game at some things that are just at least worth watching down the stretch. All right, we'll be right back with that. All right, Kareem Hunt. I don't know what to say about the guy. You know, he had a tough day. It was tough sledding against the Eagles. There was just there just weren't, wasn't anywhere for him to run most of the time when he got the ball. You know, you look at his final stat line, you see 13 carries for 81 yards and two touchdowns. You're like, huh, that's a pretty decent day. Well, of course, you know from watching the game that 12 of those carries – produced 18 yards or 28 yards and then one carry produced 53. Uh, It was a tough day for Kareem Hunt. The offensive line could not get him a lot of traction on most plays but what I love about what we saw from Kareem Hunt is he manufactured yards. He caught a few passes. He He had one play. There's a there's a gif that's up on my my Twitter account and you probably remember it that quick pass to the right side where he took that pass and he created an extra seven or eight yards by breaking, legitimately breaking four tackles. Um, Kareem Hunt showed, in my opinion, you talk about statement games has been kind of our theme. He showed that he was legit. Now you could watch against the Patriots and say, yeah, that guy can play, but you know, really the Chiefs offensive line dominated the Patriots. And it was kind of like the same as the Alex Smith situation where it's like, well, how much of that is the offensive line? How much of that is this guy really playing that well? I don't know. Well, Kareem Hunt took advantage of the opportunities he had against the Eagles. And one thing that he showed, which, you know, this is kind of the one question people maybe had with him with regards to speed on that 53-yard touchdown. I've had, you know, I had people ask me in preseason, oh, does Kareem Hunt have the speed to break big plays? Well, it's the second week in a row he's broken a 40-plus yard play. Now, the blocking was brilliant. Um, make no mistake. But Hunt also, he created yardage by by taking a fantastic angle. The safety was coming in to close, and Hunt just avoided him. Did a great job being elusive, did a great job wrecking the safety's angle, and just being tough to tough to manufacture uh, a tackle. The, the safety never got a clean shot on him. Hunt seems to intuitively understand where to go and what to do. He's got that, that, that vision quality that you just, you either have or you don't as a running back. 
You know, you look at Niall Davis, who is an unbelievable physical specimen. He just didn't have vision, just doesn't have vision. Whereas with Hunt, he just knows where to be. He, he, he's able to anticipate where to go next. Jamal Charles, one of the best in the world at it. And Hunt seems to have that ability in addition to just, I mean, he's just a tough, tough, tough runner. You look at that touchdown play, I mean, just moving the pile. And knowing right as he goes down, get that arm stuck out for the touchdown, that was a brilliant, brilliant play by Hunt. And so the statement that I saw from Kareem Hunt was, I am legit. Even when I'm playing a game where my offensive line is having a rough day, I'm still going to get mine somehow. He took advantage of every single opportunity he got. A lot like Alex Smith, who took advantage of most of the opportunities he got, you saw on a day where the offensive line wasn't dominating, he was still able to get it done. And that's a big deal because, again, you can't count on your offensive line dominating like they did against the Patriots every week. And they showed, okay, we can still hang 27 on a tough defense. Yeah, they were able to help. It, was, it helped to get some short fields and some manufactured turnovers. But the offense, by and large, was able to execute at least somewhat against a really, really tough defense. And so... That that was that that was my final you know my statement games you know you saw it from Alex Smith you saw it from the Chiefs in general a statement from Chris Jones in the pass rush a statement from Kareem Hunt real quick shout out to Benny Logan who once again was able to get more pressure on the quarterback than people anticipated man get this guy an extension now I love the way Benny Logan plays he has been so good for the Chiefs already and he's only going to get more expensive as the year goes along. I hope they find a way to keep that guy long-term. I'm so glad he was able to collect a sack against his former team because, you know, the complaint about him when he was with the Eagles, he doesn't rush the passer. So those are all, you know, the good news. Now, the next thing I'm going to talk about the stuff, it's not necessarily bad news. It's just stuff to keep an eye on moving forward. And there, there's four things that I want to talk about real quick. And not all of them, again, are completely bad news, but it's just maybe a bit of a reality check. And we'll start with the offensive line. After a game where they completely dominated the Patriots, the offensive line came screaming back down to earth. Now, again, they were playing one of the best front sevens in the league. The the or the the Eagles last season, they were in in Football Outsiders DVOA, which if you just Google DVOA Football Outsiders, the stat explains itself. It's a weighted stat for statistics that accounts for situation and accounts for uh, just basically everything with you know down and distance opponent all that stuff and comes up with a ranking the eagles were the fourth rated defense in the league last year and that's despite having a rough secondary and that's basically solely on the skill level of their defensive line and their linebackers that is a tough 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 front seven again arguably the best one the chiefs will face all year so i'm not i'm not knocking the offensive line they definitely struggled to protect alex smith um you know, that was a little bit concerning. However, they also had their share of good plays. They didn't get completely dominated, but I do think we, we, we got to see them come back down to earth a bit with this idea that maybe they'll be one of the best offensive lines in the NFL this year. I'm not sure they've got that ceiling. Um, they looked incredible against the Patriots, and then they looked average at best against the Eagles with some good plays thrown in there. Now, I will point this out. The, the consensus best offensive line in the NFL 
is the Dallas Cowboys. And they just got mollywopped by the Denver Broncos, who, by the way, aren't rolling over and dying like they were supposed to. So that's an interesting development. But that's a side note. So I, it's worth pointing out that even a great offensive line will have games where it struggles against a good defense. The Chiefs have been doing it to the Raiders for years. And so I wouldn't say that that game proves the Chiefs' offensive line isn't good. I don't think it does. I think they held their own a lot of the time, which is important against such a good front seven. But it's just worth noting that this idea that the offensive line is just going to dominate every single game, I don't think it's quite accurate. And so, you know, that's something to keep an eye on moving forward. They play another tough defense in San, or not San Diego, man. I'm going to be doing that all year. In the Chargers next week, it'll be interesting to see how they perform. And here's what I would say. If they have a similar performance to what they have against the Eagles, I would say, okay, maybe we should lower the ceiling a bit. If they if they are able to play well against the Eagles, because they got some great edge rushers on that Eagles team in Ingram and Bosa, um, if they're able to perform well and and not just hold their own, but you know perform pretty well, especially in the running game, then we'll be able to say, okay, so that was mostly just a good front seven they were facing, great front seven they were facing, and so you know they've they've got a chance to to beat up on maybe in a below average front seven in the Patriots, a well coached front seven, but a below average one. And now they faced a fantastic front seven and they, they, they took some shots, but they also gave some shots again, that, that touchdown run by Kareem Hunt was unbelievable. Um, they, they just completely dominated that play and they had other plays where they were dominant, but they, they had a, a much rougher game there. And so now we'll get to kind of see them facing a more middle ground front seven, you know, you faced a, a meh one and a great one, and now one that's somewhere in between. And so keep an eye on them moving forward, especially Witzman, who, you know, and Fisher had a few plays where he struggled. Uh, Mitchell Schwartz had a few plays where he struggled. And I, you know, I don't think I necessarily saw LDT or Moore struggle too much, but, um, you know, I'm sure they may have had snaps. But Witzman, to me, looks like the weak link along the line. I'm really hoping Parker Anger gets healthy. Um, now maybe they'll continue to keep Witzman in regardless, but Witzman both games has looked like the weak link along the line to me. And it's frustrating that that left guard spot continues to occasionally be a problem. So keep an eye on that moving forward. And of course you can't talk about the offensive line without talking about Mitch Morse. And this time I won't say his name the way I love to say his name because it's a bit of a sad thing to talk about. He's got a foot injury. Um, that was, you know, obviously a tough moment. Uh, for me, <laughs> probably more tough for Mitch, you know, just, uh, just seeing, just, just seeing him go down when he has played so well this season so far. I mean, just so well, even against a good Eagles front, I saw him making some plays out there, although he had a few rough snaps too. I think he's played so well. He is just such a good center. He's so important in the running game and he just, he does a great job staying busy in the passing game. Just a very, 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 very good player. Watching him get injured, that's never a good thing. What they lose with him is he might be, and there are a few great centers at this in the league, so I'm not saying he's absolutely the best, but he might be the best on-the-run center in the NFL. As far as pulling out in space and getting to the second level, he is so unbelievably athletic, and he's great at doing that. And it's such a big part of what they do offensively in the running game on those stretch zone plays. 
And so they, they lose that when they lose him. Now, they can still do it with their guards. They can still do it with their tackles. But it's definitely – it limits their options a little bit more because Zach Fulton just isn't as good at it. And we'll talk about Fulton in a second. So they lose that. They obviously lose the guy who generally is helping Alex identify blitzes, who's helping control protections at the line. He's a guy who stays real busy in pass pro, like I said. He, even if he doesn't have anyone to block, he, he is one of the best in the NFL, keeping his head on a swivel, seeing where help is needed, and I'll see him go as far to help both tackles, not just the guards next to him. He's a very, very good player. Now, what I've seen in reports is that he was on crutches last night and that it's called a, a foot sprain, which here's the deal. A foot sprain isn't good, but you know, here's hoping. By the time this podcast comes out, there's probably going to be some fresh news about how long he'll be out. So you'll see me either be happy or despair. Hopefully it's not an extensive injury because they need him. He's a, he's a great player. Now, here's the flip side of that. Uh, they've got Zach Fulton to come in, and you could do a lot worse for a backup than Zach Fulton. Um, you know, it was interesting to me when he came in, the announcers called Zach Fulton the guy that was drafted last year, and they were talking about concerns with the – with the quarterback and center exchanges. And I was sitting there, I was like, what are you talking about? Because one of the things you got going for you in Zach Fulton is he's a guy who's played center before and he's played at a decent level. Is he Mitch Morse? No. I remember arguing with people like, oh, they should switch, you know, Morse to guard and put Fulton at center because Fulton's just as good. No, he's not. He's not as good as Morse, but he's an adequate center. And there is not a lot of adequate depth at offensive line in the NFL. There aren't a lot of adequate offensive lines in the NFL. And so the fact that you have a guy like Zach Fulton who has come in and played center and played it well in the past, that's a big deal for the Chiefs. What Fulton brings to the table as a center is, again, he's a guy who's done it before. He understands what he needs to do. He understands the offense. He's worked with this offensive line group for years now, not just one year. I seriously don't know what the broadcast crew is looking at because they said that Mitch Morse was a rookie the year before too. I think they were looking at some old information, but Fulton's done it before. He's played in playoff games. The moment's not going to be too big for him. He is not nearly as fast as Mitch Morse, but he's very strong at the point of attack, and he's capable of walling off defenders very well, and he's capable of getting push on defenders. He's, he's a bigger guy. He's very, very strong, and so he, he it brings a bit of a different dimension to the, to the run game, and we'll see what they do differently with him especially with Kareem Hunt's kind of bruising style. And we'll see what they end up doing if they switch things up at all. But I do know that in previous years, they definitely it limited the number of, of polling plays they had because Morse just can't get out in space as well as, or because Fulton just can't get out in space as well as Mitch Morse. He just can't. And you don't ask a player to do things he can't do. That's bad coaching. And so it, it's, it's not good. Mitch Morse is a bad guy to go down. On the other hand, Fulton is a better center than he is a guard. And if you're going to have to have him come in anywhere, having him come in center, it's not a disaster. Now, if Morse ends up being out for the full season, that's tough. However, if he's, uh, if he, you know, Fulton can fill in for a significant amount of time, and I don't think the offense is going to be too devastated by it or even hurt all that badly because. Again, you've got adequate backup depth. And so I'm very grateful for Zach Fulton today. Um, one more thing before we take another break um, with regards to the things that I'm finding a bit concerning, you know, even though a lot of them are things, they're not that concerning, really. The offensive line still played okay. Um, they, 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 they could have played a lot better. 
and they definitely were playing a good front seven and, and had some real rough snaps, but they didn't get completely and totally dominated, which is something, I guess. Um, then, you know, the Mitch Morse thing, well, you know, the, the flip side of that is that Zach Bolton's coming in. Well, here's the final the final thing that I'm, I'm going to be looking at moving forward is Travis Kelsey. Um, Travis Kelsey is, in my opinion, one of the best two tight ends in the NFL. I think him and him and Gronkowski are in a league by themselves. I think you got some guys like, you know, Reed and Ertz, and you got some other good players, very good players like Greg Olson. But Travis Kelsey is a unique player. He's so difficult to defend. He really is, like they were saying in the broadcast, he really is like a wide receiver out there. He's one of the toughest guys to cover in the entire league. He's so good after the catch. He is a remarkable player. He's become a very, 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 very good run blocker, particularly in space. Um... However, and see, I'm not going to join the, you know, the group people. Oh, he'll never be a great player until he does ABCD. He's already a great player. And I'll put up with the stuff, the extra stuff, because of how great he is. But at the same time, he got another taunting penalty. And, you know, it is rough because he did give an interview before the Patriots game talking about being a leader, talking about being a captain, and, you know, no more silly stuff. And you can see him on the field still doing silly stuff and I understand he's an emotional player and I think that's part of what makes him great but he still hasn't learned to harness that and you know and here, here's the thing I didn't see what got him the taunting penalty my understanding is he ran over to the eagle sideline and said some stuff that's stupid that is absolutely dumb and again I love Kelsey as a player. I think he's fantastic. He's got, I mean, he, he does work in the community. He's got some charities. I think he's a good guy. But at the same time, he's, you know, man, I can't believe I'm going to say this. I'm only 32. But he's a young man who needs to learn when to shut up. And that seems like a harsh thing to say. And fortunately for me, I really literally would say that to him. Now, he might get mad at me. And anyone might get mad at me if I said that. But that's what I would tell them. I, I've told that to young attorneys that, that, I've, that I've chatted with about, you know, what to do and what not to do. I've told that to clients. Sometimes when you just got to learn when to shut up. And what Travis Kelsey needs to understand is that he is a target now. He has put himself in that position with the stuff that happened last year that people target him. Opposing players target him. They know they can get inside his head. They know that if they taunt him, that he'll come back at them and that he'll keep going over the top and over the top until he draws a flag. And, you know, last week it, it drew a penalty. This week it drew a penalty. And it's only a matter of time before another one comes at a critical juncture in the game. And that's just the kind of thing. It just can't happen. Now, one thing I saw that I appreciated when he went to the sidelines, you could see Andy Reid was just chewing him out. And Andy Reid is a player's coach. He doesn't just chew guys out lightly on the sideline in front of everyone. That is not something Andy Reid does, generally speaking. But he was doing it there. And I think there's a reason behind that. Because, you know, he's kind of saying, man, enough of this crap. What are you doing? You know, it's you know everyone jaws a little bit out there. But Kelsey needs to understand two things. One, he takes it farther than other players. By going towards the sideline of the Eagles and having something to say, you are asking for trouble there. You're looking to start a fight. You're looking to start something. You don't always need to go over the top of what the other guy did. And two, again, he's a target now, not just from opposing players, but from the refs. And whether Kelsey likes it or not, that's the reality of the situation. Uh, you know, again, I'm a lawyer by day, okay? Huh. 
a lawyer, well, a lawyer and a pastor. I have way too many jobs, guys. And something that I tell my clients when they're at the beginning of, say, a child protection case or a criminal or a criminal case, is I tell them this, this is the analogy that I give them. When you, you know, when you when you go out anywhere and you know you maybe maybe you're going to a, a club. I don't know. You young people are going to a club. Maybe you're going out with a bunch of friends to try to meet some gals or meet some guys or whatever. And this is especially an analogy that works for women. For men, it's a little more tenuous, but, you know, bear with me. And no matter how good you think you look when you go out, whenever you use a public restroom and you're under all that fluorescent lighting, suddenly you look at yourself and you're like, wow, I look awful. I look pasty. Man, I got acne. I'm in my 30s. How did this happen? And you see just every flaw and every bad thing about yourself under that fluorescent lighting. What I tell my clients is, especially in a criminal case, or a child protection case is you are now under fluorescent lighting. You will now have every bad thing about you exposed and things that normally wouldn't be a big deal. Because look, you know, say a child protection case, all parents do things that are occasionally like, ah, maybe you shouldn't do that. That's part of being a parent. I say this as a father of five. But when you are part of a child protection case, those things are suddenly a huge deal. Because you got people watching you. You are under fluorescent lighting. Travis Kelsey is under fluorescent lighting. He is in the spotlight now. Anything he does is going to be blown up by the refs because of who he is and because he's got a history. And that's what happens when you throw your flag at an official like, I'm sorry, like a, a, a 10-year-old throwing a tantrum. And again, you know, this all sounds really harsh. And I just want to throw all this in with the caveat that I think Travis Kelsey is a good guy, at least from what I see. It sounds like he's, he's nice to fans. It sounds like he cares a lot about kids when he meets them. He, he, signed, he signs his stuff. He gives it away. He spends time with fans. He's got charitable foundations. None of this is to say he's a bad person because I don't think he is. I think he's a, good, he's a legitimately good guy. And you can also see he's very passionate about winning. But that passion about winning is, is becoming more emotional – outbursts because again you know I, I, I talked about a 10 year old 10 year olds are passionate about winning part of being an adult is understanding when the spotlight is on you when that fluorescent lighting is on you and just shutting your mouth and he's got to do that because it's starting to affect the team and one thing that I will say to close that on a positive note that when Andy Reid was sitting there chewing out Kelsey I was watching him real close because as a as an attorney, I've had to chew out my fair share of people. And you can always tell certain type of clients you're never going to be able to help. Because as you sit there and say, man, you cannot do this. What are you doing? You got to stop. Whatever it is you're having to say. Some of them, they just sit there and they look away and they look around or they sit there and they try to argue with you. And that's when you know, I can't help this person. I'm not going to be able to help them. Kelsey didn't look happy, but he looked more angry with himself. And he sat there and he took it from Andy. I think Kelsey will be fine. He's put in way too much work. I've seen him develop way too much as a player to think that he won't put in the work to improve on this last area of his game that needs improvement. Because you see how much more secure he is with the ball now. I think his hands have come a ways. His route running has come has gotten so much better. You can tell he's put in the work. You can tell this guy cares about winning a ton. And if it's framed that way, you know, Travis, you're going to cost us a game at some point here. He almost did last year. And now you can see he's a target this year. He's going to get himself ejected from a game if he's not careful. 
And not necessarily by doing anything worse than what some other players are doing. What Travis Kelsey needs to understand is right now, life isn't fair. He is going to get penalized for things that other guys don't get penalized for. And that's just what happens. That's life. You're under fluorescent lighting. And so that I actually spent more time on that than I meant to. But it's something that is starting to frustrate me a little bit. I have confidence that Kelsey will figure it out because I think he is a, he is a team guy. And I think he cares a ton about winning. He's improved too much and worked too hard on his game to be anything else. And so I look forward to seeing him start to learn to rein in that emotion and maybe save it for the appropriate time and the appropriate outlet. Nobody's more emotional than, say, an Eric Berry. But you don't see those same penalties. You just don't see it. Even Marcus Peters, although Marcus Peters probably could get some of them sometimes, he's careful in how he reacts, at least it seems that way, to other players, and he avoids penalties by and large that way. So we're going to take another quick break. I hope to see Kelsey work it out, and I think he will. None of this is a referendum on his talent. I think he's a Hall of Fame-level talent, and I think he's a good team guy, and I think he cares desperately about winning. He just needs to be able to bottle up that emotion and release it in a little more appropriate context. All right, we're going to take one more break. We're going to come back with one more concern. We're going to talk about the Chargers briefly, and we're going to talk about the Chiefs overall ceiling for this year and so we'll be right back to talk about all that so one last concern that i have with regards to the chiefs and again all of these are concerns but they're not really concerns is special teams and look i trust the special teams to figure it out and so i'm not even going to spend much time talking about this other than to say i i'm sure dave taub has it under control but two games in a row, the special teams hasn't played that well. Um, he had one good return by the new guy, Hunt. Um, but in particular, DeAnthony Thomas, who I know is one of Taub's guys from all the quotes you hear, he's had a couple rough games in a row. You know, he this last game, he dropped that uh, that punt that he could have fielded cleanly at, like, the two-yard line. Colquitt made a great punt, and Dad just dropped it. Um, he's had some really poor kick returns. Um, he's, you know, he's returning them, you know, from five yards deep out of the end zone and bringing back to the 15. That doesn't work. Now, I don't know if he's under instructions to do that. I'm sure he is. But, man, then it's on Dave Taub to understand what his unit can and can't can't do. And right now the special teams isn't playing particularly well. Their coverage, their coverage has been fine. But you're not seeing the same game-changing plays we've become accustomed to the last couple of years. So it's just something to keep an eye on moving forward. I personally think Dave will figure it out, but it's worth noting that, you know, Hunt came in and replaced uh, DeAnthony Thomas on kickoffs, on a kickoff late, and he had a good return, and he had a good return by just going north-south, getting up the field, shaking a tackle, and just getting the yards that were available, not trying to manufacture more by going east and west, and that might not bode well for DeAnthony Thomas's future, we'll have to see, but it's just something to keep an eye on, the special teams. Um, we're used to them dominating, and they haven't been so far this year. Now, the good news, Chiefs are 2-0 despite that. They used to be dependent on their special teams to win games. Now they're clearly, clearly not. So with all that, let's talk about the San Diego Chargers right after I take a big swig of water here. Ah, that's the kind of sound you can only get in a professional podcast, am I right? So the Chargers are a team that scares me. They always have been. And this year, you know, Keenan Allen is healthy. He's playing really well. Um, you know, they're, they're, 
they're not uh, in a great position right now. You know, they lost to the Broncos in week one. Um, they almost came back, uh, but they lost. And then, then they lost in a kind of lowest scoring affair to the Miami Dolphins this on Sunday. And so here's what I'll say. The, the, the Chargers scare me a bit. They've got some guys that can run the ball a little. They, their offensive line isn't very good, but they've got great pass rushers and they've got really good corners. And so I, uh, I, they, they just scare me. Phillip Rivers scares me. I am so tired of watching Phillip Rivers shot put footballs to perfect spots. It just is, it drives me insane. The way he throws the ball and the trajectory and the arc on the ball, they just look like wounded ducks that should be easy picks, kind of like Peyton Manning's last year. And they just aren't, and it's killing me. Um, he, he's, he's wonderful at anticipating defenses pre-snap, and he's even better at finding open guys post-snap. I, I, I think Phillip Rivers is a great quarterback. He, he drives me nuts, but he, he scares me. And the Chargers have, even last year, when the disparity of, of talent between the two teams, because the Chargers had so many injuries, was pretty wide, the Chargers have traditionally played the Chiefs pretty well. So we'll see what happens here. It's another good matchup for the Chiefs. You know, again, the fact of the matter is the Chiefs have a lot. Uh, they've got a tough early schedule. Now, so far, they're acing it. Those were almost no one thought they would get out of, you know, Patriots-Eagles 2-0. and uh, There were a lot of people that thought they might be 0-2 because of that front seven for the Eagles and because the Patriots are who they are. And so I think the Eagles and the Patriots are both better teams than the Chargers, but they still scare me. They're still a good team despite being 0-2. And so what I'm going to be really looking at is how the Chiefs handle Bosa and Ingram, about as good a pass rushing duo as you'll find in the NFL. Um, neither of them is quite on Justin Houston's level because really besides, you know, Khalil Mack and Von Miller, nobody is. Although Bosa might get there. And Ingram's a stud. He is a great all-around player, and he's a wonderful pass rusher. And so, I mean, overall, Bosa and Ingram might be better than Ford and Houston just because they're both overall players, not just pass rushers. Um, and D. Ford is still one-dimensional in that respect. And so, I mean, there it'll be interesting to me see how they handle them. It'll be interesting to see how they handle a team with a really, really good secondary. Um, now, the Patriots have a good secondary, and they handle them just fine. So we'll see how it goes. Um, you know, with regards to how the, the the defense does, it'll be good to see how they handle uh, uh, Allen. Um, who Keenan Allen, you know, everyone knows he had some stuff to say about Marcus Peters in the offseason. And he's the, he, he's a tough cover. He's a very good player. And the Chiefs are accustomed to teams. Now, the the Eagles threw at Marcus Peters more than the Patriots did, but it still wasn't all that much. Whereas we know the Chargers will go after Marcus Peters, especially with Keenan Allen. They'll go right at him. And so that'll be an interesting matchup to watch to see what the Chiefs do. Because remember, before Keenan Allen got hurt and left the game last year, he really was eating Marcus Peters' lunch. And Peters even admitted it later on. And so it'll be interesting to see where they go with that. It's a tough matchup for the Chiefs. Um, every week, you know, I, I said before the the Eagles game, man, if they can win that game, I'm going to start getting pretty hyped up. And we're getting there. I mean, it's tough after winning against two good teams like that and two very different good teams. Um, it's tough not to get hyped about what the Chiefs are doing. They beat the Chargers. That'll be even more so like, man, this is starting to look pretty good. Um, 
and I think they'll need to. You know, Oakland is is now two and zero. The Broncos are now two and zero. The AFC West is looking like it's going to be a tough division to win, and so they need to they need to bury the Chargers. The Chargers start off zero and three. I don't think they're going to dig out of that hole. So they've got an opportunity to bury a AFC West team early on and set them so far back that that's maybe one team to not worry about. And so it'll be you know it'll watch how they do against those edge rushers. It'll be interesting to see how they do against those receivers. Hopefully they come up with another strong performance. I'd like to see the defense continually start to clamp down. They played better against the Eagles, in my opinion, than they did against the Patriots. But I want to see them continuing to clamp down. You know, Justin Houston himself, he said it's not good enough. It should be more dominant. And I agree. With the personnel they have, this defense should be more dominant than what it's been. So hopefully the Chargers game is the first road to that. There's the first uh, step on that road. And so one last topic that I want to cover before we get out of here for the day is the chief ceiling for this year. And I've, I've kind of alluded to it throughout this, uh, throughout this podcast. Um, when you look at the fact that they beat the Patriots on the road, they beat a tough Eagles team at home in a game where both teams played well. Neither of those games were gimme. Neither of them were handed over to the Chiefs. Um, and again, I mean, Carson Wentz, he played some hero ball, and it wasn't enough. Um, the Chiefs ceiling... At this point, now, you know, losing Eric Berry hurts. You know, you got to wonder if you have those plays, you know, when Carson Wentz scrambled for first downs, you got to wonder if you got a scud missile running around like Berry, whether or not that happens. Um, in fact, I, I doubt it does because of how quickly he closes. But the ceiling for this team at this point, beating two playoff contenders in a row and beating both of them when they played a good game, and play, it wasn't, you know, the game didn't turn on luck, um, you know, especially against the Patriots, and they won both games. I think you're looking at legit Super Bowl contender for the Chiefs, at least with how they've played so far. Now we'll see if they come crashing back down to earth or whatever, but the offensive line is improved from last year despite a tough game against the Eagles. Alex Smith so far has played good football. Um, he is definitely feeling the heat. He's throwing the ball down the field better. Um, now, they're not taking – it's kind of funny. I, I keep hearing people, oh, the Chiefs suddenly have a downfield passing attack. They're not really taking more shots than they were. They are connecting on more shots than they were last year. And that's the difference is Alex Smith is throwing the ball better down the field. He's, I mean, they've always taken three, four, five shots down the field a game. Um, usually not too many more, maybe six or seven, something like that. They've always done it. It's just Alex hasn't thrown the ball that well down the field. And now you're seeing it. And he did it again against the Eagles on multiple plays, just throwing the ball down the field. And so, I mean, overall, you know, the pass rush is back, which is going to be crucial in the playoffs, being able to, you know, kind of release the hounds. And Justin Houston staying healthy is so critical. The fact that he's got, you know, three sacks in two games, he is definitely back. Chris Jones rounding out into shape. I mean, the, the, whole, the whole ceiling for the entire team is a very good defense. And a good offense, which is unexpected. I thought the offense would take a step backward just because I didn't see how they might improve. You know, you don't want to count on internal improvement that much. And so, I mean, I I personally think this is a team that, warts and all, is they're not invincible, but they've got what it takes to beat any team on any Sunday and actually be more likely than not to beat any team on any Sunday. And again, when you beat two playoff contenders in a row, 
both of whom played good games, and you just outplayed them, especially closing out in the fourth quarter like they did, that's a great sign for how your season could go down. And so this is a team with a really, really high ceiling. They've, they've, they've beaten the high-flying offense and the Patriots, who then just mollywopped the Saints this week. Yeah, I keep using mollywop. I'm not sure where I heard that originally, but I like it. So they, they beat that, that the high-scoring Patriots, and then they, they went up and they went toe-to-toe against an incredibly physical Eagles team, and they walked out a winner there. They can, they're not dependent on one way to win. They can win multiple ways, and that makes you a dangerous team come the playoffs time. And so that's, uh, that's the show that I've got for you today. Like I said, we end on a positive note. I'm excited to see what the Chiefs do moving forward. Um, it's another good week to be a Chiefs fan. I'm going to have some film reviews coming out this week, obviously the Alex Smith All-22 film review, um, and then a few other things on Arrowhead Pride. Uh, don't forget to you know subscribe rate review this podcast it really does make a difference as silly as it is that helps us keep us going this is episode 12 now i want to keep providing this kind of content if you want to keep listening to it so again subscribe like whatever it is you have to do on it review rate only if you're going to say good things though because you know if you say bad things just keep that negativity to yourself man um and so i just want to keep bringing this to you guys thanks for listening again this has been the chief in the north the land of ten thousand takes And I will see you next Monday. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.